Hello and welcome to episode 128 of Pop Culturally Deprived, where each week we watch a movie I've never seen before, which is most of them, and talk about the good, the bad, and the sexist, egotistical, lying, hypocritical bigot. This week we're going to be talking about 9 to 5 on your Pour Myself a Cup of Ambition podcast. If you want to tell me your fantasies for smashing the patriarchy, you can find me on Twitter at Mandy K. And I'm Matthew Vose. If you want to join me to discuss happy, fun, buddy comedies, I'm at Matthew Vose. This week, we are joined by Beyondria July, a freelance writer and cultural critic based in L.A. Her film criticism and culture writing have been published in The Hollywood Reporter, Out Magazine, and Women in Hollywood. And I am so excited you are here with us this week, Beyondria. So tell us a little bit about yourself, where we can find more of your work, and then why is 9 to 5 the movie that you wanted to talk about? Sure. Thanks so much, Mandy and Matthew, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I am, as you said, a culture writer, and um, I love film and television. It's my lifelong obsession, um, as is the same for you guys, I assume. And um, I also am a screenwriter, and I have a fiction podcast that I released earlier this year called Centered Podcast. Um, You can find out all about it at centeredpodcast.com. And I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at beandrea.com, which is spelled like Andrea with a B in front of it as one word, B-E in front of it as one word. And then dot com spelled out. So um, nine to five. I actually Mm. have been obsessed with Jane Fonda this year for um, many reasons. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I watched her documentary on HBO. Um, It's Jane Fonda and five acts. And it was just utterly gripping to me, her life story. And there's a part of it about um, nine to five, which I didn't realize she actually that was all her idea. She produced it and developed it. Mm. Um, and it wouldn't have happened without her. So she talked about it in the documentary. And so I went and watched it. Of course, I knew the song, but um, I was just like, it seemed very sort of dated, but also like incredibly um, present mm-hmm. and real for this time mm-hmm. as well. Um, relevant. So, yeah. So um, that is why I picked it. Okay. That is a really good reason. And Jane Fonda, yeah, most of her films are worth putting on because they're interesting at the very least. And she's always captivating. Totally. Yeah, she's lived so much life. And just her, you know, growing up being the the child of a famous actor, you know, that gives Mm -hmm. you sort of a window into a world that most people are unfamiliar with. And then even beyond that, you know, she was also just like had the same kind of struggles with her family and upbringing that a lot of us have too so it was a really interesting she's just she's still going so (laughs) yeah it's baffling to me when I watch her because like you would never guess that she's 81 watching her doing stuff now like she's she moves and talks and acts like someone who's so much younger than that like she's my grandma's age and it just, yeah. <laughs> I cannot imagine my grandma doing the things that Jane Fonda does right now, you know? And it's it's like some kind of magic elixir, I think. Totally, totally. There was a documentary out on, I think, Netflix a year or two ago uh, called Feminists. What Were They Thinking? And she's in that. And it's all uh, sort of 
um, first and second wave feminists talking back on what they were doing in the 60s in that period. And she talks about Barbarella, obviously one of her big roles, and just this whole thing of, yeah, yeah, I did that thing. I did the best I could with it. It is what it is. But there were uh, great reviews on um, Letterboxd and a few other sites with people just like, her talking with a slightly smutty mouth about her appearance in that film, everything we need. <laughs> she just utterly owns that she did this thing. I haven't seen that one, but i that's one of the ones you watched last year in your epic mm. quest for watching all the movies. Yeah. Okay. You, can, you could see it being made as a really good female-led film with some good sci-fi, but this is just fairly softball. Okay. She ended up actually marrying the director of that movie. Oh, really? I can't remember if they were married before or after it, but I think actually before they were married, um, and that's why she was the star in it. I mean, other than her acting abilities, she also was married to the director. Good on them. Maddie, how come you've never seen 9 to 5 before? (laughs) So it's been a while, I think, since I've been able to give this answer, but this is one that just fell into the category of, oh, that's an old movie and I don't want to watch it. You know, it's from the 80s. It's actually from 1980. And so I wasn't even born yet when this movie came out. So why was I going to watch it, you know? Presumably, uh, you also knew the song. Well, yes, of course. I mean, I grew up with, you know, country music was my bread and butter growing up. So, okay, uh, yeah. But the movie I just was never interested in. And I think think part of it is because by the time I became – I was interested in these kinds of movies, I – would have wanted to see them more as like teen slash young adult movies. And so even then they were too grown up for me, if that makes sense. Like right. that they yeah. weren't kind of the demographic I was looking for when I was watching movies back when I was in high school and college. So. Okay. <sighs> Sucks to be me. <laughs> um, why don't you tell us a bit what this is about? So Dolly Parton, Jane Fonda, and Lily Tomlin are three secretaries battling their sexist and abusive boss. They get super high one night, fantasize about killing him, then they kidnap him and take over the company. And for full disclosure, I did not write that. I borrowed it from an article in Vice, and I thought it was just the best way to describe this movie. (laughs) I, I think we'll come to the discussion more. I was surprised how much was in this film. For the the sort of bit at the, the the ending where they have kidnapped him, mm-hmm. for me that was most of the film. <laughs> There's a lot more going on than I remembered. Yeah, I was surprised because the the synopsis for the film when I went to watch it was just you know three women kidnap their boss, and like mm. that didn't happen until so much later in the movie. And I, God, this movie was nothing at all what I expected it to be. So, okay, what what did you expect? What what were your thoughts going in? I think I expected it to be much lighter in nature than what it was. Hmm. I, for some reason, and maybe it's just because the song is so upbeat that I was kind of equating the tone of the song to be what the tone of the movie would be. And considering it starred, you know, three women who I'm accustomed to seeing in comedy, that's kind of what I was really thinking I was going to get. And instead it was a much darker comedy, I think. Cool. So a little bit of history to the film. 9 to 5 is a comedy from 1980, directed by Colin Higgins, starring Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, Daphne Coleman, and Dolly Parton in her theatrical debut. The film was a smash hit, making $103 million against a $10 million budget, making it at the time one of the highest grossing comedies ever. 
The song 9 to 5 was written for the movie by Dolly Parton and was nominated for Best Song at the Academy Academy Awards and Golden Globes. And it won for Best Country Song and Best Performance at the Grammys. A TV series of 9 to 5 ran for five seasons in the mid-80s and there has been a successful musical version developed by Dolly Parton in 2008 and included Alison Janney as Lily, as Lily Tomlin's character. A sequel is apparently in development, according to Jane Fonda. Bringing the story to a modern-day setting, it is currently with Rashida Jones and the original story writer Pat Resnick to write the script. I'm really excited about that. Yeah, totally. So how were we able to watch the film? Beyondra, is this one you own? No, I okay. didn't. And, it, you know, it used to actually be on HBO. That's how I saw it before, but now it's not on there anymore. So I had to, to rent it. I rented it from Voodoo. Ah. Mandy? Yeah, it's also available to rent on Amazon. It is not on any of the streaming um, subscriptions. Although I think if you have Cinemax, it's part of Cinemax now and you could have watched it. But I don't okay. have that channel. Um, and over here, it is available on Sky. Hey, like you didn't Netflix. actually have to record this one off of TV? No, yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Timed showings of screens. <laughs> Um, Mandy, we have three big performers in this. Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, Dolly Parton. What is your experience? Had had you seen any of them in anything before? Oh, I've seen all of them and stuff before. They are three wonderful, wonderful leading ladies. Uh, Most recently, I absolutely adore Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin and Grace and Frankie. Um, I recently binged like the last three seasons all in like three days. Um, It's just so good. So good. Um, and then I've seen Jane for other Jane Fonda movies. Um, not a lot of when she was younger, more like monster in law with Jennifer Lopez and, and things like that. Um, mm. Lily Tomlin, I first knew her from, um, the magic school bus. She voiced Mrs. Frizzle, didn't she? Or am I mi- mixing her up with somebody else? We're going to pretend that that's absolutely accurate. Um, and she was also on the West Wing for a couple seasons. Yes, yeah, no, you're absolutely <laughs> right. Miss Valerie F- Val Frizzle stroke the frizz. Yes, I was sure that was her. And then all of a sudden I was doubting myself. Um, and then, you know, the West Wing when she took over for Mrs. Landingham and mm. Dolly Parton. I mean, it's Dolly. Who doesn't know who she is? <laughs> I, I had a feeling you probably had, you know, some sort of experience at Dolly Parton. Yes. You know, it's funny, though. I think I know more about her acting than I do her music. Or at least I did when I first started to become more aware of her. Because, again, I didn't listen to a lot of older music. And her, like, big heyday in country music was, like, 70s, 80s. So that was really before I listened to music. Um but I love her as a singer-songwriter. I love her as an actress. I think she's a rock star and can do anything she wants. Nice. So uh, there's there's been this app that everyone's been using recently, Face App, mm-hmm. that ages you and shows what you're going to look like in 40-plus years. Mm-hmm. And the BBC d- did an article where they applied it to like a picture of Ian McKellen when he was young and a picture of... Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger when he was young and Morgan Freeman and and you know it's actually quite good at aging them except they applied it to Dolly Parton and she looks nothing like what it thinks she was going to look oh, like no. <laughs> would you believe <laughs> oh I'm gonna have to go look up that article just because I want to see it uh, I 
I'll, I'll see if I can include a link in the show notes because it was it was quite good fun actually. Okay. And she she always has that quote of you know it cost a lot of money to look this cheap. Right. Absolutely. Bless her. She is just the most enthusiastic. And the reading about her seeming quite nervous about this, there was a comment of she had learned everyone's lines mm-hmm. and every performance going into this. Her husband accompanied her, and he is not in the public eye. He never joins her on things. So. Great. Yeah, I was just thinking, I was reading that. She was talking about it. It was her first movie. She said she thought it was going to be like a play. So she memorized all of the lines, everybody's lines. And then she was surprised when they filmed it out of order. Oh, yeah. Oh, she's just so sweet. <laughs> Bless. Terrific. But yeah, she she wanted to be a star and she made it. Good on yeah, her. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Nine to five. Um, I want to make a joke of, is this a five or is it a nine or... I'm not. Mandy, did, did you enjoy 9 to 5? <laughs> I did. I really did. But it took me a little while to process through it, I think. Just because it's one of those movies where I went in expecting one thing and got something completely different. And so having to shift those mental gears kind of changed the experience of watching it, I think. But since I have finished it and I've been reading a lot of things about it um, and kind of going back through all of the shenanigans and hijinks that happened. Um, all I can think is I kind of really want to watch it again, and I can't wait to go sit down and watch the musical version since it's on YouTube. Okay. So, yeah, absolutely. I enjoyed it. Nice. Anything in particular that that you enjoyed about it? Did it just wrap you up as you went along? Was it performances? Was it the... Uh, you know, slapstick shenanigans as, as the middle bit comes in? Honestly, I think the slapstick shenanigans were my least favorite part of the movie. Mm-hmm. I think I just really enjoyed the idea of the film and I enjoyed how they, the performances, these three women should do all the movies together all the time because their <laughs> chemistry together is just wonderful. Like, I don't know why they haven't had Dolly Parton on Grace and Frankie yet. Like, that needs to happen. <laughs> I I felt like watching this it was I'm going to say this was reminiscent of obviously the other way around but this was reminiscent of us talking about the sweetest thing and how you loved the female friendship and that and the the friends doing everything for each other working for each other being friends certainly the first half of this film that's what this is all mm-hmm. about and and I can imagine that being something that particularly appealed to you Absolutely I think It took a little bit to get there because at first I wasn't really sure how they were going to get these three women together, especially since they opened on the office rumor mill surrounding Doralee and everybody like shunning her, Mm -hmm. including Jane Fonda's character. And I was disappointed in that. And I couldn't quite see how we were going to go from that to these three women are the best of friends, but they did and they actually did it well. I mean, who doesn't bond over smoking a joint, right? <laughs> and rips. <laughs> Beyondra, was was last year the first time you'd seen it, or had you seen it back in the day as well? That's the first time I remember seeing it. If I saw it before, I don't remember. This also came out before I was born to you. Um, so I, I think I actually, for a long time, I had this in my memory as a different movie. I don't know why. <laughs> you know that other movie that Dolly Parton's in where she, like, goes from being a nobody to being a star in the movie. I can't remember what it's called, but I kept thinking it was that one. But anyway, yeah. um, Yeah, it was... uh, I was completely surprised. I had a very similar reaction as Mandy because 
I was expecting it to be a little bit more serious instead of so like slapdashy and sort of corny. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, in reading up on the film, I found out that the original screenwriter, a woman named Pat Resnick, had actually made it more a little bit more darker where they earnestly actually tried to kill their boss, not, not accidentally. Oh. Um, but the guy who was brought on to direct it, like rewrote the script and he wanted to make it lighter and, and sillier. So, and I feel kind of, I kind of wish that I could see the version that Pat had intended. Maybe that'll be in the reboot, but um, mm. it's, it's kind of like you have these amazing, you have this amazing trio who is so good and you, you don't want to take your eyes off them. And then to me, like the, the slapdashy kind of silly comedy sort of undermines them in a lot of ways. Um, And I don't know, it just, it felt like it trivialized some of what they were about, like, which was Mm. all stuff I'm, I'm Mm -hmm. behind, you know? I mean, it was, but it also was like, even just, you have to think about the time, right? Like in 1980, nobody was talking about equal pay in a mainstream way. Nobody was talking about those things that they implemented. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. skipping ahead, but I'll, I'll, so I'll, I'll pause myself. But it was very unheard of. So I could have to kind of report my brain, transport my brain to that time and not impose my 2019 brain yeah. on the, that 1980 brain. So there, There's something about... Certainly, that the middle bit with all the hospital and the body in the car stuff—that's, it's almost like filler. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, this totally. would be probably an hour, and it would be a really good hour, but it wouldn't be a, you know, theatrical release. So they've had to put something in there, but I almost wish like we got through that much quicker. Yeah, that's the the scene, or I guess the few scenes that I feel like don't fit in this movie. Like the tone of the fantasies didn't fit either. But the message of the fantasies fit, uh, like particularly Dolly Parton's, I thought hers was fantastic, you know, but it was still silly and didn't match tonally. But then we get to like actual real life. Lily Tomlin is stealing a body from a, a hospital and like, it's just ridiculous. I mean, it's wonderful that we get the kind of friendship where the girls are going to help you hide the body, but what was happening there, right? It's yeah. just it came yeah. out of nowhere. It just went completely left. Mm. It just went left, like yes, sharply. It absolutely <laughs> did. Um so I think, you know, Matthew and I often talk about how we can fix a movie. And I think I would just take all of that out. Like she didn't need to think that she killed him. Like they could have kidnapped him without any of that happening. And and they could even have done a bit of and they confess. Because they're not bad people. Although, is this setting up that they're about to become? Um, you know, and had some shenanigans with the police and miscommunications and so on, rather than just this set piece in the car for a period? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Mm. So, going back to something that, that you said, Beandrea, I would like to talk for a minute or even just point out the irony, the absolute irony of this movie that is about smashing patriarchal bullshit standards, having the male director come in and do significant rewrites to the film and actually tell the woman writer that she's not allowed to participate and help. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not good image, is it? No. Like, I mean, did he even know what movie he was directing? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, that's the double standard in Hollywood. I mean, you know, a guy who's clearly not as good a writer as Pat Resnick, um, <laughs> um, you know, can come in and run the show. I mean, to be fair, film in in Hollywood, film is a director's medium, whereas TV is more of the writer's yeah. medium. So feature writers know like what they're in for. But I do think there was this added layer of ironically like sexism <laughs> and just not really understanding real women like it's just painfully obvious that like he doesn't understand like what it was a very removed kind Mm -hmm. of telling Mm. in the changes he made because it was like those fantasies were so and to me they were just kind of like off the mark in the way they were handled like lily tomlin dressed up as like oh yeah you know it's kind (laughs) of like where is this coming from because it was nothing like her character um, but yeah, that kind of stuff unfortunately happens all the time, even still. Yeah, I read an interview with uh, Patricia Resnick, and she said that she went home and cried for like weeks. And then uh, when she finally got to see the movie, she had to wait until it was screened for with everybody else. And she said it was kind of like, um, you know, sending your kid off to like boot camp and seeing how different they are when they come back. Like it's not really your baby anymore. And I just thought that mm-hmm. was heartbreaking. Yeah. So I'm really glad to see that she's attached to the reboot, uh, particularly alongside Rashida Jones, because Rashida Jones is just amazing, too. Like, I can't imagine that this won't be successful. Yeah, it's a different time now. So it'll be interesting to see what they yeah. do with it. Yeah. And it'll be interesting on that because it's listed as a sequel. I, I'm not 100% you could do a sequel to this certainly not centered around these characters. Um, And we had a a really good question from one of our patrons, Catherine, who said that uh, she'd be interested to hear how we would update the film to set it in a modern day workplace. Could, Could you reboot this in such a way that you're telling this kind of story in a modern workplace? Can it be a comedy if you do at the moment? (laughs) You know, that kind of goes hand in hand with one of my questions is, have times really changed? If these ladies saw the workforce today, would they be disappointed? You know, so I think that it would almost be painful to update this film because there are so many things that you don't have to update. You know, I mean... The actual jobs would be updated. We we could have three women who are CEOs or vice presidents or something like that. They they wouldn't be secretaries, but they would still be fighting against male bias to climb the corporate ladder to get ahead, still fighting to have their ideas heard and not have other people taking credit for them. You know, those are things that still happen. We still have the gender pay gap. There's like, that's the one thing right. at the end of this movie that, that got reverted, which still ticks me mm-hmm. off a little bit, you know, and we're still dealing with that today. And so the setting will change and some of the power dynamics would change, but I think largely it would be the same. Yeah, I wonder if they would have like started their own company and they're all like running it together or I wonder what would like be the conflict, what would tear them apart or what would be the problem they'd be trying to solve, you know, Um because obviously in this one, it was the scummy boss and, you know, the sexist work environment. Um, but in this one, if they're running the show, then they're the right. boss. And that might bring up different issues. Um, yeah. And I thought it was funny, too, when he talked about equal pay. 
when that guy at the end, there's a moment, I won't ruin it for the, the listeners, but there's a moment at the end about equal pay when they implement all these changes. And that's the one thing that like the men are like, we can't let this stand, yeah. you know? <laughs> and that's still, still pretty much the case, you know? <laughs> and I, I don't think that works as a joke. Like, it's not funny. Hmm. It's like, oh, yeah, the world's kind of crap. Well, I, I don't know that they meant it to be a joke. I think they meant it to kind of be, you know, this is reality. You know, even if we do get something changed, there are going to be some things that we still have to fight for, which is why it ended on that that tagline of this is just the beginning. Mm. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Actually, that's a good point. Should we talk the boss quickly? I don't think it's going to do anyone any good to spend too much time, but we had a good question on it. Um, again, on our, our Patreon Discord server, Brandon said that our community theatre put on a musical of 9 to 5 last year, and I loved it. I'm curious if the boss is as lovable in the movie as he was in our production. It was clear that he was despicable as a character, but it was so much fun to watch fall apart. Is the film also a comedy? With that plot, it has to be, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think he's meant to be lovable in this. No, but I th I think yeah. the actor's performance <laughs> is so good that all you want to do is hate him. You want to hate the actor too. And and I think that really speaks highly to what's his name? Dabney something? Dabney Coleman. Dabney Coleman. You know, you forget sometimes that he's not just this evil person on the screen because he just embodies it so well and i wonder if that's sort of what brandon's talking about except i think the difference is when you're watching live theater they tend to put some more like intimate nuanced moments that are intended specifically for the audience so that you can relate to the character a little bit more and you don't get that level of intimacy when you're watching a movie and so mm. I think there is a disconnect there where all you want to do is see him brought down. Like you you don't want to enjoy the character, even though you can still enjoy the performance, if that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, he definitely did his job, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so he's a he's a villain to as as you said in the in the top of the show, Mandy, he's the sexist, egotistical, lying, hypocritical <laughs> bigot. That's the a line that gets repeated about him a couple of times in the movie. Yeah. So he is all of that. So do we think this movie holds up as a feminist film today? And I know you touched on this a little bit, Beandria, talking about looking at a 1980s movie through the lens of 2019. Can we be forgiving of the differences between now and then and just focus on the message? Or is it so problematic in some ways that we need to address those things? I think it holds up pretty well. I think the film itself I don't think is problematic. I think it treats its leads pretty well. So, like, it's not got them in the male gaze unless it's kind of supposed to be for Dolly Parton. Like, because it takes a while for her to be brought into the film for us to understand her side of things. Mm -hmm. But the changes they enact... Like, Mandy, you always talk about, you know, it, you can present something on screen, but you have to also say like but this is wrong right and, and it works better if you do it this way the fact the film talks about like oh you know dramatic improvement in quality in just six weeks all these changes they're making they are making the positive statement for inclusion for having flexible working practices for the on-site crash things like that 
that, like you say, aren't necessarily always brought into working practices today. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is talking about them in a positive way. I Yeah, I think it holds up. Did, did you? Is there a reason you're asking the question? I am asking the question because I've seen some conflicting opinions about this um okay people writing about it online and i agree with you i think it absolutely holds up and i think that the inherently 1980s things that are in the movie you know can't be held against it because it was 1980 and that overall the message outweighs anything that anybody could possibly say and you know the, the people that i saw talking against it really their only complaints were really that it didn't go far enough in some ways. And, and it felt very, very nitpicky. And my opinion is this movie was revolutionary. So they need to back off. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I think it's a good first effort. I mean, is it a perfect, you know, um, art house movie no right. <laughs> you know and and it's interesting that the film did so well in the box office because you know they were clearly aware that like they had to make it a comedy instead of a serious drama in order to get people to listen and go out to the theater mm. and that would turned out to be a smart strategy right like it's so funny because even now people are still having these conversations of like can a woman you know lead a movie and still get box office you know and yeah. this was happening back in 1980 with three amazing actors who were women and they totally knocked it out of the park so um i thought that was that was interesting to notice that even back then you know they were proven we still had to prove box office back then we still have to prove mm-hmm. it now um but um there's a very um convenient amnesia that happens every time a woman wants to lead a movie but um but yeah i think it's a good start and just even just naming understanding what happened behind the scenes also gives me more empathy for how it turned out because it's like you know if they wanted to get the movie made i'm sure that jane fonda did everything she could to you know to make it the best film that Mm -hmm. she could but even someone like her doesn't have especially then just doesn't have all the power you know the studios had so much power so um yeah i think it's it's a good start and you know hopefully the the sequel and or spinoff will pick up and fill in some of those gaps it's also interesting that this is not necessarily about them becoming just the head of the company chair of the board they they just want suddenly lily tomlin's you know, driving this is just wanting a promotion. This is the start of steps, like you say, about equal pay, about recognition. I think, Mandy, you compared it at one point to Working Girl. I did. In that, we don't do a discussion of Anne Sigourney Weaver's a woman in charge. How did she make it there? Right. So that's able to then go into the next stop step of, you know, a woman treating a woman in that way. And how is that done and manipulations? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I when I was taking my notes on this, I was thinking, wow, I'm really getting some working girl vibes here just because they were, you know, pretending to be the boss and making all these changes and things. And then I realized this movie came first. And so I think Working Girl absolutely mm-hmm. built on what this movie did. Yeah, there are so few depictions of women in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Even now, like um there's a show called The Bold Type and I I was um talking to the creator of that mm-hmm. and she was saying she still could not find any workplace 
um, shows uh, that featured women that were like focusing on like the real issues of that come up every day working in a in an office um, for women in particular. And in 1980, this must have been like one of the first depictions of like what it's really like to work in an office, not just for, you know, hitting jokes and punchlines, but like the being passed over for promotions, the doing all the work and not getting paid for it, you know, all the different nitty gritty things that we deal with sort of in real life. So it kind of probably was really huge for a lot of American women who never saw themselves on screen until that point. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Mm. And the 80s had a lot of films about business. I did almost compare it to them and ask you, Mandy, if you've seen things like Wall Street, Secret to My Success, um, nope. various others. Probably not. But there are... St- no, well, yeah, there is that. But there are so few that actually do involve women. Mm-hmm. There's this, there's Working Girl. Uh, there's big business, but I don't think that's actually about the company itself. So. Hmm, okay. It's good. And it started a trend, so good on them. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about the fantasies. And, and so the fantasies go hand in hand. There's a bit at the end that tell us what everyone achieved in their lives after this. Um Dolly Parton feels incredibly stereotypical to me, but at the same time, you know, she is from Tennessee and was a country and western singer. It, uh, Mandy, putting on your SF pop hat here, what are your thoughts on the way it represents a southern person on film? I don't think that you can use the fantasy sequence against them for this because, I mean, this was a fantasy they were having while they were high. You know, it is not an any way indicative of real life and it's not intended to be i think um so i i don't have any problems with that at all and i i think that her fantasy sequence hers is the only one i actually liked um it was absolutely okay. over the top but the way they flipped um hearts male gaze and sexual harassment mm. on its head like i was actually watching it thinking i'm really surprised they did this and that they didn't get backlash for it and i loved it um, so her fantasy sequence, I thought was fantastic. Overall, her character, I mean, she had a few lines that were super Southern. Um, like, oh, what did she say? I'll use my gun to turn you from a rooster into a hen or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, and, and her accent, obviously Dolly Parton has a very distinctive voice. You know, you would not even need to see her to know that it was her talking, but I didn't think they did anything that was like, oh, a Southerner would never do that. Or, oh, I can't believe they portrayed her that way because she's from the South. You know, I mean, they they largely treated her the same way they treated everybody else in the movie. She just happened to have a Southern accent and say a few pe- peculiar things. And she had a husband who was like somewhat supportive yeah. of her, right? Mm-hmm. He, he never came off as a chauvinism, chauvinist. Absolutely. Um, yeah, they did call her Dora Lee though, so that was also a give of a giveaway, right? <laughs> right. She's Southern. You add Lee to any name, and that's that's pretty much what yeah, you get. Yeah, absolutely. Right? <laughs> so did you? Yeah, I think she had. A li- Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I think she had a line of like, "I learned how to." Uh, what was it? I, I learned how to tie a steer in Dallas. Like, she's not from Texas. <laughs> Are they just like, what's the furthest south we can go with this? Oh, yeah. I didn't even catch that. I didn't pick up on that at all. I mean, she's Dolly Parton, so she's from Tennessee, I think. That's where mm. I assume she's from anyway. I don't remember. So, Yeah, she's definitely from Tennessee. That's where Dollywood oh, is. Ab- yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I've never been there. I need to do that. 
Yeah, it's on our list. <laughs> Did you expect me to have a different answer? Were you watching it thinking, wow, this is a terrible portrayal of someone from the South? Or did you just think it was funny? I think it might just be that ending where it's like, oh, and the secretaries from the South went on to be a country western singer. Well, I mean, she's Dolly Parton. What else were they going to do with her? Of course, that's what they made her do. And she went on to run the Southern Division of the company. <laughs> I don't know. It's almost because they they don't set up any like, and here is her singing on her way to work, singing in the shower. They do a karaoke scene, whatever, something that. But she has this potential. They just throw it in at the end. Oh, by the way, we've got Dolly Parton, and she's a country western singer. Yeah, I assumed it was just a nod to the character, to the actress. Honestly, mm. like I didn't. It didn't bother me at all that it didn't have any like ties to the movie itself it was just like hey we had dolly parton so this is a wink and a nod to her this is the origin story of dolly parton <laughs> it's and, and it's almost surprising because the film is really well written it sets up so much stuff early on you know we talk about like Chekhov's gun or Chekhov's whatever but it sets up what the sweetener looks like early so we can see the mistake for the poison it sets up her, the fact she can fake his signature mm-hmm. it sets up her with the garage opener the fact that one of the women gets laid off but although she's annoyed she does appreciate like it was really hard for me to work full time here anyway right so that then gets remedied and there's a thing they bring in yeah the the film is is I think does a lot of very good work setting up so so we understand the steps they go through to get there Except there's nothing about her as a singer, which. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of those things where if they had had the wisdom to cut out some of that fluff that we mm. were talking about earlier, they could have spent more time on like hearing some of their backstory beyond because we didn't really learn anything about them beyond like their most present life, like or anything about them before they were at that job, yeah. you know, um, and they could have spent the time that way. They also could have. I felt like it was great they mentioned all the changes they made, but they were just like, it's working really well, you know, like, and that's all we got to know about it, or there was no real discussion or getting into it, you know, mm. so, yeah. And I, 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 they do the visual of that really well, that when we finally go into the office at the end, and it is colourful, and everyone's vibrant, there's a guy in a wheelchair who's got a nice desk that's at the right height for him, like, they mm-hmm. just present it and go oh, and this is what an office should be, rather than the drab and grey that we had at the beginning. Yeah, it's a dramatic change visually, Mm. for sure. So was there anything else we wanted to try and dig into? Was there anything else that anyone either had a problem with or would want to change? Or are we now into, hey, let's gush about this, because it's really good. (laughs) I think we just need to have a moment for kind of playfully teasing all the 80s elements that were funny, (laughs) like the copy machine. (laughs) Yes. Um, I got a big kick out of every time I see that I'm just like that copy machine is like the size of a bathroom. <laughs> like <laughs> it's so crazy how um you know, it's like she's struggling to like put the Rolodex cards in her Rolodex and <laughs> um and the invoices that that's the part that really kills me is like oh my god, we have to wait four weeks for the invoices because they're changing over the computers, you <laughs> <Yeah>. know? <laughs> Like, that's such a huge part of the plot at the end. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, my God, it's so funny. Because, like, you know, today you would just download a PDF and have it in seconds, you know. But <laughs> there they had to, like, mail it. And it was very complicated. Yeah, if you did that in a modern setting, she'd just be like, 
oh, I got my tablet here. See, here's the invoice. <laughs> like, at the point they're holding him hostage. Yeah. Well, you know, and the other thing they couldn't do today was the whole hospital scene. Like, you cannot steal a corpse and bring it back <laughs> without getting caught today. There are cameras everywhere, you know. So I thought that was really interesting. Like, very dated. Mm. I mean, to be fair, the ending of that is good that they just leave him in the toilet. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I was expecting the way the, the woman backed out of the bathroom when she found it. I was like, oh, she's like, I'm not dealing with this today. Like, it's a dead guy <laughs> yeah. in the bathroom. And then she's like, another stiff in the bathroom. Like, another one? Like, that was a nice joke. Yeah. Okay, yeah, this film does a lot of stuff very good. Um uh, uh, Mandy, this is obviously your first time watching it, but what were the bits that you really adored? My favorite things are actually characters. Like Dora Lee, I mm. love her. And I, I think Dolly Parton just brought something to the character that, that someone else couldn't have. And her character itself was, she was kind of scary. You know, the way that she ended up being so calm and devious and conniving, like she figured out how to manage all of these things like she's the one who figured out how to get the corpse back to the hospital you know she's the one who was like figuring out the best ways to like make people think that Hart was in the office with the lit cigar and the coat and like she was like the brains behind the operation but it was done so well that it was kind of scary you know like if she can do these things then she could probably take down the world yeah. Um, and I adored her for that. Um, Jane Fonda played Judy so naively. It was beautiful. Um, you know, like when her ex-husband found Hart and assumed that she was into some kinky bondage play and he said bondage and she said, what's that? You know, and then he explained it and then she got mad and was like, well, I'll do M&Ms if I want to. <laughs> Just cracked <laughs> up. It's adorable. Absolutely adorable. I, I love the appearance of Jane Fonda early in this. Because, you know, she's Jane Fonda. She is gorgeous. She was a model. But they've got her in that hat and plain dress and with the big wig on her. Mm-hmm. And, and just being this sort of very quiet, oh, I don't just want to, you know, and make some copies. And yeah, she's wonderful. Yeah, don't forget the glasses. Those mm. giant 80s glasses on her face. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I had another one that I wanted to mention and I didn't write it down and now I can't remember what it was because we've talked about so many things that I've enjoyed. If I think of it, we can come back to it. But um, what about you, Beandria? Did you have any specific moments from this that you just loved? Yeah, I would definitely plus one your, um, the the scene with Jane Fonda's character and her ex-husband and how she kind of sends him packing because I thought that was like, again, that felt like, it must have been a pretty um, new kind of portrayal to show like a divorced woman who goes back to work and sort of rebuilds her life. Um, like I'm sure that there hadn't been a ton of movies <laughs> that depicted mm-hmm. that in a mm-hmm. real way prior to that. And that's such a cliche of like um, a man cheating on his wife with his secretary. Right. And, and also cliche that like it doesn't work out and he wants to come back to his wife. And I like that she rejected him. Right. Cause in another movie she might've, gotten Mm -hmm. back with him right um 
So that was really fun. And it made me wonder, like, if the director let them improv anything. Because they had just such great chemistry as a trio. And they were each, their characters were so different from one another that I imagine, like, the improv would have been amazing. Like, if the director had let them go, it made me wonder. Because that scene felt like maybe it was improv a little bit. Like, I don't know why. But, but the Eminem's <laughs> thing was, like, perfect. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think there is something to, like, wish fulfillment, you know, even though the fantasies scenes were largely cheesy, I think it, again, like, putting, thinking of myself as a woman working in a, as a secretary in the 1980s, like, that, I would have walked out of there feeling like a thousand bucks, you know, like, <laughs> um, or a million bucks, um, because it's like you could never do that in real life. And so to have them kind of do it on behalf of you mm. would have been like really powerful. Um, and yeah, I think that was kind of what stood out to me. I guess I would. Um, yeah, it's actually our discussion is kind of making me like lean a little bit more into the feminism of it. Because I hadn't really the stuff I'm saying is sort of all mm-hmm. off the cuff. I hadn't really like processed it and and yeah and in the Jane Fonda documentary um she actually they show news clippings that like secretaries actually started to unionize as a result of this film oh awesome um yeah which I was like that's incredible Mm. like (laughs) so it really had it had an impact There was a comment from um, Jen at Generosity on Twitter when we were talking about this, and she's she only saw it once, and probably at a fairly young age, but it left a big impression on me. The take no more crap attitude of the women was inspiring, and I loved how competently they ran ran the business, and the actors' chemistry is partially what makes Grace and Frankie so successful as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see someone watching this, and and you know we always talk about the if you can, what's the phrase? If you see it, you can be it. And this is like, they just take over and it's just awesome. And suddenly it's great to work there and colorful. I just, I I love the visual of it. It's so good. As someone who has worked at a place where we went from the drab gray cubicles to bright orange and green cubicles, I can attest to how different it makes you feel. Mm. It really is. It, It has an impact on the way that you feel throughout your day. It's great. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yes. I think I the only part of the movie that I truly did not like was, I don't know why, but the part where they had him tied up and like how far fetched his get up was. And he was in like this wrestling uniform with all these chains and locks. And it was just so and it was also like rigged up on a rope. And it was just so hard to believe. Like it just looks so fake. And it's like what was your production designer doing? Like (laughs) you couldn't come up with like something that looked more real. Mm. It just looked like, you know, a kid did it or something. Yeah. But the visual of him (laughs) hanging from the ceiling was pretty great. I mean, completely unrealistic. Absolutely. But hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny how he'd like almost get away and then (laughs) whoops, he's back up to the ceiling, you know? (laughs) What about you, Matthew? Um, I, I would like to gush a little bit about Lily Tomlin. Um, I, I think she is wonderful anyway, but there's a few moments in this that just blow me away. When she's dealing with the phone calls at the beginning, which is a setup for like 
how competent they are and and what being successful look actually looks like in that job and then she comes on and the kids are there and she deals with the kids and then just finishes it with no i don't want to speak to the dog <laughs> and moves on with her day right right <laughs> <laughs> it's lovely and the the her fantasy so she becomes snow white and poisons him and then throws him out the window with cartoon friend characters helping her it's utterly ridiculous and she's wonderful because of the incongruity of like how serious her character was before, how practical and just dealing with everything. And now she's princess and singing and birds landing on her finger and it's all happy and light. And, and murder. And she sells it. Yeah, it's <laughs> so good. Yeah, well, and even the way she described it before we actually saw it, she was like, you know, I think it would be more like a fairy tale. It would be gruesome and terrible and cute. <laughs> and like you say that aspect of it which I, I don't think i'd thought of but yeah they are high when they're describing yes this. absolutely so this is slightly you know judgment impaired and just flights of fantasy whatever comes to your mind yeah um that actually right. does remind me of the other thing that i wanted to to call out uh jane fonda the way she played that character high is utterly realistic mm. because oh my god that was me not okay. that I've ever actually been high. Of course not. I, w- I would never do that. But, you know, falling over, laughing, Hi, not Mandy being Smith. able to, to s- like, sit there, like, literally falling over, laughing, and just going on yeah. and on and on. Like, that was amazing. It was like, nice. that, yep, that's what happens. Totally. <laughs> All right. Well, is there anything else that we need to discuss about 9 to 5? We've kind of covered a lot. The, the, the one character we've not really mentioned is Roz which is quite interesting. And I feel like she's a very realistic character. You know, she's sort of buying into the system and working with it and being comfortable with that. Did you find any of her story funny or was it just, it, it needs to have that secondary kind of crisis conflict thing in the the last bit of the film? Oh, I found that completely realistic and very necessary because it's like there are, even as like women are fighting for change, there are always women who want to uphold the status quo too Mm. like not all women are feminists (laughs) so um i thought that that was pretty accurate and and it did add they needed that conflict of somebody needed to notice that the boss wasn't there right Mm. you know like obviously somebody somebody's got to notice it's not (laughs) like everyone's not going to see him and not care so i thought that that worked really well that actress was really good too yeah i couldn't work out where i'd seen her and she's from the adams family She's Dr. Pinderschloss. So she is someone who does this kind of character acting thing. <laughs> not familiar with that. Okay. I mean, I'm Are familiar with the Adams family, family, just like nobody outside of the absolute okay. like core characters. <laughs> yeah, Elizabeth Wilson is her name. Mm. Yeah, she was very good. Mandy, did you think anything on her and on the story, the sending her over to France and dealing with her that way? I loved that they came up with a way to get her out of the way. Um, you know, she reminded me of the people that you hate in high school. You know, I mean, she's hiding in the bathroom to spy on people. Like, why do grownups do yeah. shit like that? I mean, they do. Like, the workplace as an adult is absolutely no different than, like, middle school and high school ever. Like, somebody's going to go tattle on you, and that's just how it is. Um, so I did absolutely find it realistic. It was just disappointing, you know, that, that they put a woman yeah. in that role. But of course they had to put a woman in that role because it wouldn't have worked 
with anyone else because she was still at the same level as our main characters. You know, she was fighting for the same positions and, you know, promotions that they were. She was just going about it a different way. I think she thought that if she sucked up to Hart, that would be enough to get her where she wanted to go. And she was clearly older, too. Mm -hmm. Like, she had spent basically all of her life, you know, in this kind of horizontal, not really advancing kind of position. And so she hitched her her boat to the powerful man, thinking that would be her job security. Mm -hmm. But she was also kind of a tragic figure because it was like, clearly she was good at her job, but, you know, she basically had the same job her whole life and never advanced. The other woman in the film that we haven't talked about is Hart's wife. Oh, God. Right? (laughs) Like, I felt like that was kind of weird, like, I don't know why they had her in there except to, I don't know. I mean, it made sense. Like somebody like him would have been married, but there was no chemistry. They felt more like brothers and sisters than anything. So, (laughs) You know, it makes me wonder if his wife was written like that in the original version of the script or if that's one of the changes the director made. Because it feels very tone deaf and against kind of the message of the movie. Yeah. And even that scene they added where she just called to see if, A, she's obviously you know, not that smart because she believed his excuse that he was like starting a new exercise routine <laughs> when right, she saw him right. tied up. And then, you know, she was so happy to get flowers. And that was a whole scene about she got flowers. It was sort of like, I don't know, it just felt tacked on. I would be really surprised if it was like that in the original script. So let me tell you how I thought that scene was going to go and how I wish it had gone. So when she called Doralee and said, you know, I just wanted to thank you for the flowers. What I was really hoping had happened was she came home, found her husband, you know, all trussed up like that. He explained to her what happened, and she left him there realizing instantly what had happened. And, like, she realized he doesn't care about her. Dorley's the one who's done all of these things, and so she's just going to let them do what they need to do to him. Like, yeah, that would up. have been amazing. But that's not what they did. Yeah, that would have been amazing if they teamed up, actually. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, because that's almost what I would expect probably a current film to do with the Ross character. To sort of bring her on side. And and actually, I really like what you're saying about, uh, you know, there are always people like that, people who work against potentially their own causes um, and, it, and hitch their wagon in the wrong way. But I, I, I like with her that they don't leave her behind. They, they they give her an opportunity. It's not the joke of we sent her to an office in Greenland. They sent her to to learn language. But they do nothing like that with the wife. She's still married to this person who in the end goes missing. Yeah. Well, she's rich, right? So <laughs> That is true. She's got it all sorted anyway. But, yeah. <laughs> and I think we all know she's better off without him. Yes, definitely. So if you want to join in the conversation, you can use the hashtag PCDeprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at EloquentGushing. And you can email us podcast at EloquentGushing.com or leave us a voice message on speakpipe.com slash EloquentGushing. Beyondriette, thank you so much for joining us and for bringing what is actually a very, very fun, very good film. So it's been a lot of uh, a really good one to watch. Do you have any other recommendations, favorite films, things that you think Mandy should be checking out? Oh, gosh. Well, um, I would definitely, just to plug the Jane Fonda documentary again, I would definitely go watch that. 
Um, I also love the reference you gave earlier about um, the feminist film. I saw that when you said it. I was like, oh, I've seen that, but I forgot that I'd watched Mm. it. Um, So those two things, just as a jump off to this, um, I'm a really big fan of dance movies. My favorite dance movie is a movie called Fast Forward that was actually directed by Sidney Poitier. (laughs) If you saw the movie, you'd laugh. Okay. But um, uh, I'll let you all Google that, but it's a a treat. And... um, Yeah, so thank you so much for having me. It's it's really great to be here. Oh, I think Matthew's Googling. I am. I'm just looking up fast forward. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Yeah, no, I need to seek that one out. Um, where can people find you? If they want to go and follow your work, follow you online, where are you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter and Instagram as beandrea.com, which is spelled like Andrea with a B-E in front of it as one word, and then .com is spelled out as well. And I also have a podcast people can listen to, a fiction podcast um, about a woman who is being groomed to take over her mother's accounting business, but instead decides to go live at a yoga retreat center. (laughs) It's called Centered. Mm -hmm. And um, you can find that on my Twitter or at centeredpodcast.com or the listen links. Great. Yeah, we will absolutely put links to all of those in the show notes so that people can just click and see. Absolutely. Go check them out. Pop Culturally Deprived is 100% funded by listeners like you through our Patreon page. So any amount you can give, even $1 a month, will give you access to exclusive content while also helping to support our network and help us develop new shows. To find out more, please visit patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Pop Culturally Deprived, where we'll talk about But I'm a Cheerleader with Kristen Russo from Buffering the Vampire Slayer. Until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And it's all taken and no giving. <laughs> Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, go to eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.